Welcome to Life in the Pit, a podcast about the lives and adventures of instrumentalists within the wonderful world of musical theater. And now, here is your host, David Lane. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Life in the Pit. Uh, First of all, I just want to confess uh, a pet peeve that I have as someone who listens to a lot of podcasts. There are a lot of podcasts that I love. I love the host, I love the subject, but it always bothers me when the host records the introduction at obviously a different time of day or whatever than they did the interview. And so you get to the interview and their voice is way up here and you listen to the introduction and it's way down here. Well, sorry, I'm guilty as charged. I usually don't record quite this early in the morning, but putting off the introduction a little later than normal uh, this week. So sorry, I'm guilty of my own pet peeve and my voice will be a little bit higher when I get to the interview. All right. This is actually a great episode because we are talking about the harp, an instrument that really needs a significant amount of introduction itself just because of how little I think that musicians of other instruments actually know about it. Also, it's not quite as common of an instrument in pits, especially in smaller theaters, uh, for reasons that we'll discuss, but uh, you could at least have found it on five different Broadway productions just before the COVID shutdown began. Now, before I go on, could I please ask a favor? I was lining up a list of guests that I need to record in order to have episodes through the fall and early winter. And, well, frankly, it's a lot of guys. Actually, the original list was ten guys in a row. I've already started lining up some female guests to break that up, but I'd like to break it up for an even longer period of time so that this podcast can be well represented going into and through 2021. Now, to be clear, I don't believe in diversity by exclusion, but rather inclusion. I have a lot of men, particularly white men, on the upcoming schedule, and I look forward to to great conversations with every single one of them. But I want to add plenty of voices from women, all genders, non-Caucasian ethnic groups. Now, I have all of this representation in September and October, but I'll need help to keep it going. So if you have pit experience or know someone who does, and it can be anywhere from playing for Broadway shows to playing for high school productions in Idaho. If you would like to be interviewed and appear on a show, please send a message by going to davidlanemusic.com slash podcast or you can send me a direct message on Instagram or Twitter at Life in the Pit Pod. This is not to discourage the guys. I'm just asking everyone, everyone, please let me know if you'd like to chat. I'd like to keep this podcast going for a while, so I might not be interviewing you soon, but I'll, I probably want your name so that I can get to you down the road. Also, we have new ratings and reviews that have come in this week on Apple Podcasts, and I want to thank you for that. And also to each person who shares this podcast. It helps us gain new listeners each episode, so let me say welcome to the new listeners. Uh, By the way, for the new listeners, you can listen to this podcast in any order. You might want to find the bonus episode called 
Terms for Theater Musicians, which is between episodes four and five, if you're not a pit or theater veteran yourself. But otherwise, just check out the guests and instruments that interest you and while you get caught up. Once again, we're talking about the harp today, and my guest is Grace Lutke. She is a local harpist and teacher, and also had a big hand in creating the North Carolina Harp Ensemble. Without further delay, let's dive into this fascinating instrument with this wonderful guest, Grace Lutke. And it's my pleasure today to be talking to Grace. Grace plays the harp, and... um, Grace, how are you doing today? I'm great. How are you, David? Oh, doing fine. And so how have you been spending your time since March? Now, if I'm not mistaken, you you were in your first year of grad school, going back to school, in addition to teaching and performing? Yes. So uh, I thought that 2019 would be a great year to <laughs> go back to school, to pursue my graduate degree in heart performance. Because I'm a mother of three children, mm-hmm. and, and at that point, all of my children were going to be in elementary school. My daughter was going to be in kindergarten. My son was going to be in first grade. My other son was going to be in the third grade. So I was really excited. I was like, yes, I'm going to take this time. Well, then here comes March. Mm-hmm. And so, so in that period of time, and um, pretty much a period of a week, we all became displaced um, mm-hmm. students. Right. And we all had to learn in a virtual learning environment. Mm. So along with, you know, all my professional jobs being canceled, all of a sudden I had to navigate on- online learning for myself and online learning for all my three children. So that was very complicated. Right. But the summer has been good since we haven't had to deal with that. But here we're coming into the next school year and it's going to be really challenging, but I figured that it was better to push forward and complete my degree at this point because we don't know what the landscape is going to look like come fall of 2021 right yeah and that's that's true you know whenever i hear people talk about 2020 in such a negative way you know they they seem to kind of magically think 2021 will be a whole lot better. But like you said, 2019 seemed like a good time to start school. And it, and it was yeah. It's just, unfortunately, 2020 was part of that semester. <laughs> yeah. That because I, I, I waited until I thought it was the perfect time to go back to school. And obviously I was presented with a pretty big challenge. So I'm like, all right, well, I'm just going to keep moving forward because we can never can depend on the perfect time being there. Right. If anything, that COVID has taught me. <laughs> right. Um, I feel like more than probably just about any other instrument that we'll talk about that you can have in the pit, I feel like the harp needs some 101 talk. Like we just need, we need to talk about the harp as an instrument. Um, if So if I would just kind of exclude the per, some of the percussion instruments that don't have pitch, every instrument that I can think of that plays in the pit in an orchestra setting is what I'd call a chromatic instrument. So it has 12 notes that it can play and that you can play in an instant. And, and, and you can go C, C-sharp, D, D-sharp, E really quickly in that order. So I, I really can't think of a woodwind, uh, a string, a brass, or even like a mallet instrument, percussion, keyboard that can't do that. The harp really isn't like that, especially if you just have one one harp at a time. So you have 
what I understand is it's a modal instrument, and actually it would be a purely modal uh, instrument if you were playing like a folk harp or a lever harp where you really can only have seven notes at one time. But the truth is a pedal harp, it's not really any different. It's just you have the option to quickly change the notes. But something like if you saw C, C sharp, D, D sharp, E really quickly, that would that's not really a good thing for a harpist to see, is it? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's some pretty quick footwork. I would hope that those would all be really long notes. <laughs> right. <laughs> Let's talk about the harp in general. What are the challenges to you as a player when you're presented with harp music? I mean, I assume you probably, you probably get some well thought out music written for harp, but you every now and then probably get, something from someone who composed it on a piano and didn't really research the instrument that well. So what are some things you have to do as a performer before you can even play the music? Well, you're right. There are some parts that are better written for harp and some that are not. So as a harpist, you kind of have to know how to work the part a little bit to make it sound great on the harp. Mm -hmm. So the first thing that a lot of people don't realize about the harp is that the harp is only played with eight fingers. Mm-hmm. We do not play with our pinky fingers. Right. And so a lot of pianists or composers that don't know this, they think the harp is like a piano and they'll write things where we're supposed to be using 10 fingers, mm. which sometimes you can do some stuff to be able to work through that, but we have a limit of just eight fingers. So that's one of the things that people and composers should really know about the harp is that we have eight fingers. And also when people are thinking about the piano and the context to the harp also is that part of playing the harp, we have to have the time to be able to jump around the instrument Mm -hmm. as well as like close our fingers for relaxation. And so doing really repetitive Portions mm-hmm. are just horrible right. on the harp because it you have to have a really tense hand. It's not something that even a pianist can play the same chord all day long, really, really fast, but not all day long, but right. as a harpist, it's very limiting and it's better to have a moving part. So, but a concert grand pedal harp, which I play, mm-hmm. has 47 strings. And it has seven pedals, and each pedal has three different settings. Mm-hmm. So the top notch is a flat, the bottom is a natural, and let me say that again. The top is a flat, mm-hmm. the middle is a natural, and the bottom is a sharp. And so visually, what you see when you're looking at a harp is kind of like you're looking at all the white keys of a piano. And so we're manipulating the pedals to create those sharps and flats of the white keys, along with creating that chromaticism. Because when we move a pedal, for example, if we're playing in a key where we have to have an accidental that's a C sharp on our instrument, all of the C sharps move. Right. So then we have to move our pedal back. Mm -hmm. And so we have to have enough time to be able to maneuver our pedals in a way that 
is conducive and clear in the music. We're kind of disguising what's going on underneath our feet. Mm -hmm. And so when it comes to like being thrown something and like sight reading, a lot of this has to be sorted out beforehand. Right. And so uh, as I tell people the harp, I mean, you can sight read on the harp, but you don't want to. Right. So it's much better to have the part in advance. That way you have time to figure out which fingers you're going to use. If it's a weird part, if you need to hack out any notes and figure out how you're going to be able to maneuver your feet when you're playing, because it's really a full body type of experience playing the harp. I mean, you have... The harp is a complete instrument. You have the treble clef, you have the bass clef. So one hand is doing one thing, the other hand is doing another, and then your feet are just going wild at the bottom sometimes, depending on what's going on. So I would encourage anyone who's working with a harpist, please be kind and give them their music in advance. <laughs> right. Uh, I, I really feel like that I think the closest parallel you have would be a multi-percussionist, you know, because I've talked to a couple of percussionists and they all talk about the choreography. Like they've got to yes. get instruments in a certain place on the certain side. They've got to be, of course they, you know, if they're, if they're doing on a drum set, they're using their feet and, and all of that. And they might have mallet instruments and, and bunch of sticks and all that. So I feel like, yeah, it's it's just keeping the brain engaged, and and I've only experienced that sensation because I've tried to play keyboard and conduct an orchestra at the <laughs> same time, <laughs> and lead the singers and all that. But it's it's still it's still different, you know, when you're on the harp and just some things that that I think composers and arrangers especially have to consider. But it's also I think it's good for the other players to know you know, what's going on back there with that harpist. So, uh, so I'm going to come back to harp and playing it. Um, I, I want to talk more about it, especially in musical theater and in, in the pit in general. Uh, but let's talk about you. When did you get into the harp? Was that your first instrument? It was not. My first instrument was actually the piano. Okay. So I started piano lessons when I was eight years old. Okay. And my very first performance that I remember this is even before I play the harp, but I played go tell it on the mountain mm -hmm. on the piano and i and i sang at church and that was my very first performance at that time that church like live streamed their performances so i was so excited to be on tv mm. then when i was 10 i found the harp and i was literally window shopping with my mother like she, our house needed new windows. And so I was very bored. I mean, what 10 year old wants to look at windows. And I went over to the kids section and I found a book about musical instruments. And I remember looking through that and I saw a picture of the harp. And I was like, Oh my gosh, that is what I want to learn how to play. Mm -hmm. And so then I started begging my mother for harp lessons. And she's like, harp, like where, who teaches harp? Where am I going to find harp lessons? And I was so lucky that a local teacher, was coming to the area that was starting to teach harp lessons. And so I went to her demo meet and greet, and I was the very first student to sign up. And she told me that I was the very, her only student that, you know, even before my first harp lesson, I told her, I want to play the harp professionally. Mm -hmm. So wow. <laughs> that was a unique, a unique thing, I guess to say as a 10 year old and to know that, oh yes, this is, this is my voice. This is what I want to do. Mm -hmm. And also around 
that same time I became involved in community theater as a child actress. Okay. So I grew up in Newton, North Carolina, which is in the foothills, you think kind of between Winston-Salem and Asheville. Mm -hmm. And we have just a wonderfully active like cultural community mm -hmm. in our area. And the theater was right behind my house, mm. like literally, like I could see the theater from my backyard. Mm. And the music director there was a Juilliard trained pianist. And so it was phenomenal musical theater productions that I got to be a part of just on stage. Right. And I think about how that really shaped how I think about music and why the idea of musical theater and playing ballets and operas is so special to me because right. I understand what's going on stage because I've been there and I just loved to hear all of the music. And so I, you know, I grew up, you know, studying piano, studying harp, and then also being involved in musical theater on stage and sometimes backstage. I mean, sometimes I helped out. And one of the my favorite shows was Into the Woods. Mm -hmm. And there's no kids in Into the Woods. So they my mom um, was very involved in theater, too. So this is kind of something that we did together. So she was the granny mm -hmm. in Into the Woods. Mm -hmm. And so I, as a little kid, was the lighting board operator. Okay. And so I watched all like all the dress rehearsals, all the performances of Into the Woods. And the stage manager would tell me when to press the button for, and then when the witch dies, I would get to go crazy on the lighting board, you know, just make all the lights. And so that was I really, I just loved it. Yeah. So I kind of grew up in a really great community that, you know, nurtured me as a musician. <laughs> right. Well, that's good that you had that theater background. I, uh, you know, I've talked before uh, with some guests about, you know, I, there's, you can tell something about musicians when they're in the pit. There are those who, seem to have an understanding of the theater and the process and those who don't is <laughs> like you have some people who just kind of they just take their chair open get out their instrument play their music and it's just any other job to them in and, and and I think until you've kind of at least seen the theater you know seen a play or more importantly participated maybe in some way other than just being below the stage it's kind of hard to have that appreciation but You've been on stage and done the lights, so that that gives yeah. you a great perspective. And in a pit. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yep. So you've got the full perspective. So another thing that harpists have to deal with, you know, that's going to be different than a lot of instruments, is um, well, just getting it from your house to the stage or to the pit and back. What are what what is that like? I mean, I assume you know you can't have too small of a car <laughs> and <laughs> and uh you probably have to take time for that and you and probably have to arrange uh for like if especially if it's if it's a literal pit like at a theater probably have to arrange i don't know maybe some assistance to get it in place or just take the time so what's that like yes so there have been several different types of pits that i've been in and usually I know that if I'm committed to being in a show or I'm going to be in the pit, then my harp is going to be in there and it's going to stay for the run of the show. So uh, there, I'm always the first to arrive because I have to navigate how to park my car, how to get, not a car, but my SUV right. and how to get it into the space because sometimes you can have steps, sometimes you can have lifts. I mean, sometimes there's really 
weird halls and things you have to go down to like be able to get in there. And usually once you're in, you do not come out. There's only one pit that I've been in where I've actually been able to get in and out because usually when the show starts, I cannot move. Mm, <laughs> I'm right. stuck in the corner. And then sometimes my heart was also had, there's no better way to get it in there than just literally like lowering it into the pit. And so I have to become very good friends with the stage hands who come right. over and help me get my harp down. And then at the end of the run of the show, help me get, get it back up. So, but the harp is about six feet tall. It weighs nearly a hundred pounds. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and then the harp also has to have a certain amount of space when you're playing, you have to be able to move your arms. You have to be able to move your feet. Right. So you can't just kind of, you have to find a way to not be completely cramped while you're in there. But right. as a harpist, I mean, you cannot drive a small, compact vehicle. Um, most of us drive minivans, SUVs, or station wagons, for sure. Right. One of my good friends plays trombone, and and, and I've seen him show up to gigs uh, on a motorcycle with, with, like, a little backpack case. And I'm like, what? Well, don't think you ever see a harpist doing that. <laughs> yeah. No. That'd be cool. <laughs> but... But no, we definitely have um, large vehicles. Yeah. So, but we're always the first to arrive and we're the last to leave. And there's sometimes that I've been on a pit where I've had to get there when they lowered it down. Mm -hmm. And so I have to get there to be lowered down with all the percussion equipment. Right. Yeah, I was asking about just the setup. The first time that I met a harpist was in college. And, um, she would she would be in orchestra rehearsal about an hour early, sometimes like tuning. And she just I, I, I think she had to tune her instrument more than any other instrument instrumentalist I had met at that point. But yeah. she would she would do her practice like just before orchestra. So she'd be in the practice room. And then I was one of the early ones. And there's usually another guy around and she'd just say, hey, guys, could you could you? help me move my harp, you know, cause, cause it has to go through two narrow doors and then it had to go like down a couple of ledges. Cause we had one of those rehearsal rooms where you're on the top level when you enter and then you go down two or three levels, you know, to get the various instruments and all that. But <laughs> yes, that, that is one of the best ways to help a harpist. Usually they want to be in control of the cart. We have right. kind of a dolly that we use. It has wheels where we can push it around. Mm -hmm. And usually I'm always in control of the cart, but if somebody will hold the door for me, that is amazing. That way I don't have to contort my body very strangely to try to maneuver my harp in safely without being hit by a door. Right. Um, so, you know, we talked about harp is not really an instrument that you can, well, well, the way you, the way you phrased it, I believe was we'd rather not sight read. <laughs> Um, yes. But um, so many guests have talk, talked about the importance of sight reading, especially to, to pit music, just for various reasons. And I'm just curious, I assume that there are times that you have to sight read. What are what are some techniques that you've used? Is it just a matter of if the pedal, if you don't have time to play and the pedal changes, those notes get left out? Or how do you navigate around those rare times that you have to sight read? Well, it would depend on what the 
part was that was presented in front of me. Mm -hmm. But overall, the most important thing is to always maintain the rhythm. Right. So even if some of the notes might go astray, Mm -hmm. it's maintaining that consistent rhythm. That's one of the most important things that goes along with performing in any type of show or in an orchestra or even a solo is making sure that rhythm is really consistent. Mm -hmm. So I think that practicing consistently with your metronome at home is very helpful Mm -hmm. as well as kind of understanding how to listen to your colleagues and to match what they're doing if you're doing a collaborative type of event. So it's important to put some sight reading kind of in your regular day-to-day practicing, but you know, it's not really something that I have to use that often mm-hmm. because I feel like I've always been a really good note reader. Right. So you always have a pencil and you kind of scratch things in and you maintain the rhythm and you just kind of go with it. Right. So the only time that I've worked with you directly in theater was um, uh, when the, the first time that I music directed Pippin, uh, we, we had a harpist and it was one of your students. And yeah. and she uh, she had one day she couldn't be there. So you substituted for her and yeah. uh, and you did a wonderful job. And I w- and I was just thinking, did she get that? I mean, well, she was your student, so you probably had access to it for a while. But I, but I assume that that wasn't that was prepared in advance to some degree. Yeah, I actually, when I did that show, I just played her music. Right. So, but it, I didn't find it to be very complicated and all already had all the pedal markings in because I had helped her put them there. Right. <laughs> so, but that show was really, really fun mm-hmm. because of that seventies element Right. <laughs> that was a part of it. And I didn't realize when I kind of went into the pit, like kind of how prolific that musical is and how, you know, their covers from that show by the Jackson five and by right. the Supremes. And I mean, I had a lot of fun just being a part of that. Right. So, but that part was, it was actually really well done for the harp because the way it was crafted was just a lot of fun. There wasn't really any technical challenges that were a part of it. And I'm so glad that you were able to give my student that opportunity. I knew that she would love it because being a part of a show is a much different experience than playing in an orchestra. Right. And, uh, and actually, so that brings me to a transition of something else that I just kind of thought about. So, the w- the show that, that I mentioned, Pippin, at least in my brief time in theater, is the only one where I've used a live harp. Now, I haven't played some of the shows that we might talk about later on, but I played some other things with harp books. And unfortunately, if it's in a, most community theaters or like, you know, schools that aren't universities, that part goes to a it goes to a keyboard player. <laughs> it gets yeah. incorporated. And sometimes sometimes the publishers have preempted that by just writing harp parts in the keyboard. So it's not it's not like you have to read harp music. It's like it's already in the keyboard book. I assume that limits the opportunities that you have at least on a on a local level of playing for theater. Um, I know that uh, and I'm going to be talking to the music director later of uh, Greensboro's annual production of The Wizard of Oz, but I know that uh, there's a harpist that's been in that production every year. I'm hard-pressed to think of yeah. like other 
other productions, like other than like if if the harp is a signature instrument, like the Fantastics, you know, that's a kind of a that's kind of oh yeah, you have to that's you have to great. have a harpist for that for that pit. Um, and we'll talk more about that in just a second. But do you find that the opportunities are are limited for you or your students for playing around here? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so that was Pippin was the only musical opportunity that was presented to me other than the fantastic. Right. So I think that when it comes to like community theater, it's not that the heart parts aren't there. I think that there is limits for the space in the pit. Right. To have a harpist. Um, the Pippin was at Greensboro Day School and they have an enormous pit. Right. I had so much space mm -hmm. to just, you know, take off my shoes right. and, you know, stand up right. <laughs> when I wanted to because it was so huge. Like, I don't think I have been in such a huge pit before, but right. also it comes down to money. Right. I think that sometimes if a show, like financially, if the heart part can be covered by a pianist or a synthesizer, it makes more sense in their budget. Yeah, and it's also, if you're, if you're talking about not seeing the instrument, um, it, it may be one place where technology is to your disadvantage because, I mean, even moderately trained ears to not even very trained ears can tell the difference between a keyboard playing a brass instrument, woodwind or violin, versus the real instrument. But uh, there are a few sounds, such as the harp sound, that some good keyboards are in the ballpark of. It's like you can kind of tell, oh, yeah, it's supposed to be a harp, <laughs> you know, when you hear that. Um, <laughs> so, so I'm sure that that plays into kind of decisions when we're like, well, what book do we hire? What book do we not? We have a limited budget, you know, and so forth. But, but I will say there's nothing that matches seeing a harp play so if it's a case where you know the harp can even be visible even if you've got that little scroll you know just popping up <laughs> over the pit that's uh you know that's such a unique experience it, it's there's nothing that compares to seeing the harpist play i think it's probably the most impressive orchestral instrument to see played live yeah because you're seeing the music being created like right before your eyes when it comes to back to what you were talking about the musical hamilton yeah. On Broadway, in their pit, they don't use a harpist, but on their recording, they have live harp. And they were really excited about having live harp. But in the pit, they use a synthesizer to cover the harp sound. Right. And the harp has a really unique role, too, in Hamilton, mm -hmm. where um, it's there, but you, you know, in the pit, it's just a synthesizer, but it outlines the theme of the Icarus, like in the song Burn, right. you know, she's thinking about how oh, Icarus flew so close to the sun and you hear the harp doing this, you know, descending thing. So, but I guess in the pit, it's probably too small to have a live harpist. The part isn't large enough. So right. it's taken up by the synthesizer, but at least they put it in the recording. <laughs> yeah. And that is a consideration, by the way. It's like, I, you know, I'm the arranger for the musical, the Collins boy. And, um, you know, there was, we were talking about future instruments and we were talking about the guitar and we started running over songs that it would play. And out of like 26, 27 songs, we came up with two or three. 
And I'm like, I'm sorry, that's a second keyboard part. It's like, you're not going to have a guitarist sit there and not play for everything but three songs in the show. <laughs> so that is a consideration. Like when, when they're creating, it's like, yeah, if you're recording in the studio, if the harp doesn't play much, will you, you have him or her come in for the songs, you know, during his session time, you know, but if it's yeah. for a live show, not eight shows a week, night after night. Yeah. You don't want to, you know, a huge amount of tacit. So. Yeah. But, and then yeah. there's a lot of glissandos that happen in that show also. And those are all, you know, recreated by the synthesizer. Right. <laughs> Except in the uh, live Broadway recording. Right. Uh, I'm going to, I'm probably going to look up some of these shows just for, um, kind of my post remarks at the end of this episode, but do you offhand know, like, what are some other things besides the Fantastics and Pippin that feature prominent harp parts? Well, Wizard of Oz mentioned that, but any others that come to mind? So currently on Broadway, there are five shows that feature live harp, Mm -hmm. and they're the Phantom of the Opera, Wicked, Mm -hmm. Hello Dolly, Carousel, and My Fair Lady. Mm. Okay. And that's just currently, well, I mean, when we say currently, we mean, you know, if Broadway was happening right now, they would be up. So Yes, yes. Right. If Broadway was open, there would be a right. live harpist there in the pit performing on those productions. Right. So there is one harpist um, who has credited herself as the Wicked Harp because she is played, you know, in Wicked forever. Right, right. <laughs> And, and that tends to be the case. I mean, it's, it's also a case of su- supply and demand, you know, it's like, um, you know, around here, I, I, I feel like if I ha- have to have a harpist for a show, I can probably find one, you know, it's like there, be- between just the teachers and the students, performers, you know, with so many universities in this area, that's, that's pretty good. Um, I've, I lived in areas before where uh, I don't I don't know if I could find a single harpist, you know, <laughs> in some in some of the places like where I grew up in the yeah. Panhandle, Florida. I'd be surprised if if there's a harpist in the Panhandle, Florida. Uh, give give me a comment. Just send send me a message because I <laughs> I have not met <laughs> harpists in the Panhandle, Florida. At least not when I was in there there in the '80s and the '90s. But um, you told me you have some thoughts about how you perceive the role of harp in theater. What are, uh, what are some of those thoughts? Yeah. So I guess this comes from my experience, you know, being on stage, but I always view the harp as a character mm-hmm. when I'm in a pit or I'm playing a ballet or I'm playing an opera and the harp has very kind of distinct character roles. And it's always fascinating to see how the composer has placed the harp mm-hmm. in, in a very particular way. And so the harp, of course, is outlining love themes. Right. So every time these two characters like come on stage, there's a particular theme and the harp that is being played. Mm-hmm. Also, the lullaby of a mother like singing to her child. So the harp is there, you know, in that moment. Right. And it also outlines a part of magical transformation and that is particularly prevalent in the nutcracker production when anything magical starts to happen the harp is always like gushing all over the place right so when the tree kind of lifts in that big magical moment i mean it's the harp that is like lifting that you know to having that tree rise 
So, and then also um, another theme that actually surprised me was when I did Dialogue of the Carmelites by Francis Poulon. And that was the first time I ever played to where the harp was kind of representative of death. Mm. Nice. And uh, the dialogue of the Carmelites is about the Carmelite nuns during the French Revolution. And at the end, they are all killed at the guillotine. And so here you're spending like three hours like, listening to them, you know, and then at the end, they all die. And the harp has their death march. And when I realized like what was happening, I like started, I'm here in the pit, you know, you're kind of it's an isolated type of thing. I was like, right. Oh my gosh. And like tears like filled my eyes. This is like in a dress rehearsal and I'm like trying to play this death march and I can't really see my strings. Right. And the first slice of the guillotine that comes down is a heart glissando. Oh, nice. Is outlining that. And I just thought that was really fascinating and impactful to me because that is the only time I remember being really in tears in the pit. Wow. <laughs> and so every night when I got to that part, I'm like, oh, right. now I have to kill all the nuns on the stage. <laughs> so it's really fascinating to see kind of what what the harp is outlining, what kind of character role that they have so those are kind of so it's it's really fun to be part of a show and to explore how that composer is using the harp in the score to emulate some type of theme or expression kind of like how I said back in Hamilton how it outlines that the Icarus you know and the wings melting you know which is mm -hmm. kind of like talking about you know Hamilton and his story and how the harp is, you know, there in that moment. Right. You know, I, um, for these episode titles, when I release them, not all the time, but I often pick a quote, you know, from within the interview and I probably won't, but I am really tempted to choose. Now I have to kill all the nuns on the stage. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be a, a very catchy thing. I, it might be too long for Apple. Yeah, but I did. That glissando was the first slice of the guillotine. Right. And then um, in that opera too, the you can hear like the heads like roll off. Wow. And it was just so incredibly like musically impactful to me. And I think that that's kind of why I love this this storytelling idea when it comes to like being a musician and being in the pit. It's not just being there about playing the notes, but it's being there about creating that moment right that transforms the listener's experience yeah I, i'm not familiar with that pulong piece i'll have to go check it out so dialogue of the of the carmelites yeah okay great uh what was the first show you played for well let's just say in the pit whether theater opera ballet what was the first thing you ever played in a pit so the one that i remember first which is a full opera was was Massenet's version of Cinderella. Oh, okay. And that had just a really beautiful heart part, and it had lots of great brass in that piece. And I just loved, like, being there and being in that pit. <laughs> and I was like, wow, this is, like, where I should be because I just 
got to do play so much beautiful music and do it was just so much fun and one of the things that's so unique about being in a pit that I've experienced is that it's so relaxing Mm -hmm. because when you're on stage it's more of a formal presence where you know that people are observing like what's going on stage and so usually when I'm in the pit I feel really really relaxed and I take a off my shoes and I can stand up stretch and I can drink water when I want to and I can eat a power bar between breaks Mm -hmm. and there's just something that's so wonderful about that of just being able to just relax and enjoy what you're doing so but obviously if I'm on stage I cannot take my shoes (laughs) right (laughs) (laughs) but if I got to play barefoot all the time, I certainly would, because as a harpist, we have to maneuver the pedals. And so we have to practice in the shoes that we play in. But usually when I'm practicing at home, I don't have any shoes on. And so then when I know I have a performance coming up, I have to pull the shoes out to you know make sure that what's going on underneath me is my shoes are going to you know be there with me. But I mean, it's a really special experience just being in a pit. And I, it's in that production that I kind of was like yes yeah like this is amazing like I love this <laughs> no no I just want to just throw out there you could play barefoot on stage you could cultivate that image that's your niche and people know you as the barefoot harpist and you know it makes you more famous <laughs> just something to consider oh no <laughs> They'd be like, why does that harpist not have any shoes on? (laughs) So, but there's something just about, you know, the formality of being on the stage as opposed to in a pit. Because even when I've been in various other like pit productions, I feel like the musicians are just so into it and just so relaxed. It's just such a much different experience. Yeah. Well, it is fun, you know, when you're in a situation where you can't be seen. So like the show that, uh, well, this episode I'll say, I'm trying to think this episode will probably be coming out just after I finish this upcoming show, but the band is along the, it's on the top platform in the back of the stage will be very visible to the audience. So it's like, we can't even, you know, we, we have to wear certain clothes and, uh, you know, and also have to like look, look engaged the whole time. <laughs> we can't be, you know, we, we've got to be part of the production. So that's a different situation, but when you're in an actual pit, there's something comforting about that. Hey, nobody can see me (laughs) and we can, but we can, but they can hear me and we can play the music and it's just a lot of fun. Yeah. So there's one pit that I was actually able to get in and out of. Usually I can't, but you know, my part was like here and there and I had big long breaks in between and I was able to get out and walk to the local coffee shop and get a coffee and a scone and then come back like into the pit. And so I love just having that, type of flexibility it was great that's you know it's I feel like to be a good like musical theater type of musician you have to have that innate type of flexibility so in one of the shows that I did this is a um, a professional opera company that I played with but a soprano came in like a couple bars early Mm -hmm. and the whole orchestra just organically like moved And so the conductor didn't have to do anything (laughs) right? because we all were in it and we knew where she was and it was like nothing had happened. And, and that's really good. I don't even think you have to have unanimous. You have to have the majority of the instruments 
just listening to each other, being really aware. Now, I have I have played with certain pits before where you know that the musicians were technically pretty good, but like they didn't notice that <laughs> you know that the the actress had gone measure ahead and and like eight measures are going by and and one or two people is still like where they thought they were and 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 so oh, forth. and, and nice. so eventually someone has to whisper we're on 112 now <laughs> or whatever <laughs> uh but it is nice when you you get enough people to kind of that are engaged and, and that's going on and, and and i do as a music director i notice the musicians who do that because that's really important uh you know again because you know, there's a lot of things going on upstage um I think a lot of times what people also forget, especially musicians in the pit, is their music is in front of them. Above them are people performing without music. It's like, mm-hmm. and, they, and and they don't have anything as a reference. No, nothing with their lines. They don't have their lyrics and all that. So they, they really are relying on just kind of muscle memory and so forth to come in at the right time. And that's if they're not doing a costume change or some other thing. So yeah, I really think, you know, pit musicians need to give the people above them, you know, a lot of grace, a lot of latitude. So, um, Oh yeah. What they're doing up there is just phenomenal. Now, (laughs) as far as musical theater itself, what, uh, what was the first show that you played? Um, it was actually the Fantastics with the Community Theater of Greensboro. And in that scenario, I was on stage and I was familiar with the show, but I actually didn't understand at that point how big a role the harp had in it. Because right. when I was a kid, I had seen the Fantastics. This was one of the shows at the local community theater that I you know, had helped with. And it was just done by a pianist. And so when I got the part, I was like, wow, I mean, usually the piano and the harp don't really go together. A lot of times the piano can overpower what the harp is doing, but the way that the composers of the Fantastics put it together, Harvey Schmidt and Tom Jones, the harp and the piano are so complementary to each other. The harp brings this really magical element to Mm -hmm. the show, whereas the piano kind of like drives that rhythm. And I can see why the show has one of the longest running shows on Broadway. I think it's been like 42 years mm-hmm. it ran on Broadway. And yeah. I think it's success of that minimal set, that small cast, and just the amazing music as part of that show. And I loved doing that with the Community Theater of Greensboro. It was an awesome experience. Right. It's, it's a show that I would like to do, but, uh, you know, since I started music directing, the opportunity hasn't presented itself. But yeah, that's uh, sounds like a great story. Beavers, you know, minimal set, small yeah. cast. Yeah, all you need: a harpist and a pianist. I'd yep. love to come out and do that with you. Okay, that sounds great. Um, have you had any horror stories in playing in a pit before? Anything that was unexpected in a negative way? Yeah. So when I was. This is when I was a child actress on stage in community mm-hmm. theater. So, but this is a, a pit story. So I was in the production, The King and I, by Rodgers and Hammerstein. And that had a lot of children in it because The King of Siam had lots of children. So right. there are lots of princesses and princes. And during our dress rehearsal, one of the princes fell into the pit. 
and he ended up breaking his arm. Oh, no. (laughs) And so for the rest of the production, he had, he was luckily cast as a twin. So he linked to his twin to kind of disguise the fact that his arm was cast. Mm. And also in that same production, one of the other princes, we were, I guess, a rowdy bunch of children in that cast. And we were playing football in a hall and his hand went through a window pane. And so his Mm. arm was all bandaged up too. So we had two injured princes. And then in another show that I was in, um, a ball fell into the pit and almost hit me. But I'm just glad that that wasn't a person. (laughs) After my experience as a kid, like knowing that a person could potentially fall into the pit. Right. And once another story is that when I was doing a run of the Nutcracker, I was in an auditorium that allowed people to have food and coffee and all this stuff. And I, the people in the front row were trying to use the pit as a place to put their coffee. Oh no. (laughs) Like on that lid. And so the music director said, I am sorry, but you cannot put that there. I mean, how awful for hot coffee to drop on the musicians. And so it's made me very aware that as a pit musician, you have to be aware of what's above you sometimes. Right. And, um, usually I'm kind of, you know, underneath something, but, you know, balls can fly into the pit, people, coffee, <laughs> right. know? so it's a unique experience. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and sometimes actors lose their props <laughs> and, uh, so forth. But, you know, if, you know, a lot of times in productions there's confetti and glitter and yeah, you'll probably have that. If I play show for, uh, certain productions like my keyboard it it just has glitter on it that's <laughs> just the yeah. way it goes <laughs> or if there's smog it all like goes down yeah. in there so have you ever experienced anybody falling into the pit and breaking their arm no uh, no i haven't it's like and hopefully i won't <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> but wow. i don't know what the reaction was for the people that were in there wow so i'm sure that it was really frightening for everyone involved right yeah, wow, that's quite amazing. Uh, you, I mean, you shared you shared what I think are some pretty fond memories uh, with, especially. Yeah, I mean, it's sad, but you know what you mentioned about you know, <laughs> uh, the playing the harp while the the nuns are dying. That's pretty pretty dramatic. But are there other f- uh, fond memories you haven't mentioned from playing in theater? Yeah, there was one where. I have played like the run of the Nutcracker like several times. And I knew that one day I was going to get called to play Mm -hmm. to where I would just kind of have to just jump in. Right. And so finally that call came and I had just the harpist had had a family emergency and she wasn't going to be able to perform that night. And so I had... I don't know, two hours to kind of get ready and get over to the theater where the Nutcracker was going to be played so I could, you know, play the heart part. And I hadn't played it in a few days. So I went over kind of the gist of it, you know, more chromatic passages. I'm like, yeah, I still got it. So I met with the conductor beforehand. The harp was already set up. So I was playing on, you know, an instrument that was unfamiliar to me but it was similar to my own, so it was okay. So I played the show. I've never played with that ensemble before. It was a full orchestra. I've never played with that conductor before. 
And I had so much fun Mm -hmm. because I just knew that part so well. And I had no idea that there was a reviewer in the audience that night for Mm -hmm. that show. And he just gave it rave reviews Mm. and just thought the heart was just so wonderful. And I was like, oh, my God, like I just, you know, got a call, you know, that afternoon saying that I needed to be there. And I was like, wow, I'm like, this is great. I'm like, you know, I've kind of realized I finally conquered the nutcracker if I was able to step into it at short's notice. So it's like all the things that have kind of been leading up to that. I'm like, I've had really good training. (laughs) So, but that was a fond memory because I just felt like I just, I just stepped in to help somebody and, you know, everything just, you know, it was just, I felt great about it and I wanted to do it again. I remember thinking at the end, I was like, wow, I want to do it again. And everybody else looked tired, but I didn't. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that's, a, that's another possible quote. I finally conquered the nutcracker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, so let's just, uh, what are some special projects you have going on? I mean, one that I know of, and I'll just throw out there is I, I don't, I don't know your exact role, but that you are, part of the leadership for the North Carolina Harp Ensemble, which is where I, I guess that is how I met you uh, through that organization. Yes. So yes. So your wife, Jennifer, who's also a harpist. Yes. <laughs> and probably practicing in another room as we're doing this interview. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. <laughs> yep. Tell us about that organization. Cause that's a pretty large organization and, and any other special projects you have going on at the moment or would have going on. <laughs> Yes. So the North Carolina Harp Ensemble started in 2010. Mm-hmm. And when I was a kid, I was involved in a harp ensemble in Charlotte and I just loved it and had so much fun. And so when I moved to Greensboro, I knew I wanted to help recreate that experience for harpists that were in our area. Mm-hmm. And the ensemble rehearses at the University of North Carolina School of the Arts. And we're a group of students and professionals and we just adults and kids and we have a great time performing music together. We performed at Old Salem Museum and Gardens. Mm -hmm. We performed several times at UNCSA. We even did a show at the streets of South Point in Durham, one of our Christmas shows. So it's been a lot of fun working with young harpists and we've also gotten to premiere music. And one of them is your piece Mm -hmm. that was on our concert that was scheduled in April that we were going to do Chromosphere. So at this point, we're trying to figure out like what exactly that we can do to keep on nurturing the community that we've built with harpists throughout the I mean, people travel from the Raleigh area, the Winston-Salem and beyond to be part of our group. So we're looking into some virtual experiences, some master classes, and just figuring out ways to kind of nurture education until we can come together again. One of the benefits of a harp is that it actually is a fairly socially distant instrument. I mean, we have a... It has to be kind of a wide span between harpists anyway. Right. And we're also an instrument that can be played indoors and outdoors. Right. So we're not limited to certain 
things that other instruments might be limited to. And it doesn't require your voice or your breath or you know or anything yeah. to do the instruments. So. Exactly. So yeah. I have played at several events where I've had to wear a mask, and though you know it's kind of weird because visually. When you're looking at the strings, you can see the outline of the mask on your nose, which is really just a strange new visual to have when you're looking at all of your 47 strings and your music. And um, But I'm hoping that I can get more used to that as it goes. Right, right. Yeah, unfortunately, it may be a while that we're kind of in this mode. Um well, Grace, thank you for being on the show. Where can people follow you professionally to find out more about what's what you're doing? Yes, so I have a website. It's Grace Ludke, just L-U-D-T-K-E dot com. Mm-hmm. I'm also on Instagram at harpist.grace. Mm-hmm. And then if you're interested in finding out more about the North Carolina Harp Ensemble and kind of what we're deciding to do to continue to enrich the mm-hmm. art community throughout this area you can visit our website at ncharpensemble.org great all right well thank you so much for just introducing our listeners and to, i mean to this fascinating instrument and also uh, just helping me understand more about what goes on as a, as a harpist so thank you well thank you so much for having me david and that is it for this week By the way, do you ever have questions about an instrument such as the harp that I didn't ask in an episode? Send me a comment or message, and I will either ask that of any of my former guests, or I'll work it into future guests who play the same instrument. Next week, I'll be talking to my friend Guy Kilpin. He's someone who has a lot in common with me, uh, and he plays trombone and bass for the pit. Check that out next Friday, September 11th. As a reminder, if you want to follow what's coming up next, be sure to follow us on Instagram or Twitter at Life in the Pit Pod. You can follow me on Instagram at David Lane Music or Twitter and Facebook at David M. Lane Music. As always, a special thanks to Mark Parolo for his cover art and to Bill Cisna for providing the introduction to this podcast. All original music is composed and performed by David Lane. You can find out more about this podcast at davidlanemusic.com slash podcast. Please rate and review on the Apple Podcast app and share with your friends. Thank you for listening.